Welcome to this episode of Van Attorneys Legal Pad Podcast. This is a podcast by Van Attorneys PLLC, a law firm of attorneys licensed to practice law in the state of North Carolina. The content of this podcast is not to be considered as legal advice for any particular situation or case, and this podcast does not constitute creating an attorney-client relationship. Welcome to this session of Van Attorneys Legal Pad Podcast. Ian Richardson and myself, James Van, we're going to be talking today about mechanics liens, the basics of it, what to do if your real property has been liened, uh, if there's a lien filed against it. Uh, Ian, it's great to be back in the studios with you, um, and uh, we are thankful for many of you, our, our listeners, who are listening to the podcast. And if you've got ideas that you want us to cover, please let us know. We'd be be delighted to include that. So, Ian, we're going to talk about mechanics lien. That does not necessarily mean about a uh, an auto mechanic, right? This is a a term that has been used in the statute for a number of years. In fact, um, lien rights are, go back into our constitution, North Carolina constitution, which is a really good thing for um, people that provide materials and labor, but also for real property owners. So, um, let's just sort of jump into it on mechanics lien rights. So, what does that include? That really involves where um, any person who performs labor or provides material, uh, including provide uh, professional design or save, surveying services, anything like that, right, including rental equipment uh, that improves real property, then um, they have a right to file a lien on the real property if they've not been paid. Now, someone has to have a contract with the owner of the real property uh, for making an improvement. Um, and then once they do that, the, the statutes in North Carolina and the Constitution allow someone, again, to, who has provided materials or labor and they've not been paid to file that lien against the real property. Um, that also includes, for example, let's just say you have the owner, right? And the owner hires a general contractor. And then the general contractor hires, let's say, a first-tier sub. And then that sub hires a second-tier sub. And Maybe even that tier sub hired so another sub, which would be a third tier sub subcontractor. So all of those individuals or companies that are hired that work on the project actually have lien rights if they've not been paid. There are lots of factors that can um, impact right the the extent of that lien, um, but that sort of gives you the general basis of who can assert it. Again, it's anyone who's provided materials or labor to the real property to the improvement. And actually there's a case um, came out, I can't remember how long ago it was, it's pretty long time ago, that said that uh, actual dollar value of improvement to real property is not required. Um, so, you know, the reason I say that is there's been lots of times off, you know, you've heard people say, well, you know, we hired someone, they came on the property and did X, but they actually didn't do it right. And they've, they've, the value of the property has gone down because of what they did. That, that one case said, the property didn't have to actually increase in value. Um, I've actually never used that uh, argument in court, but it's but it's an interesting case. So that sort of hopefully sets the the standard for you for what a uh, lien is, and then that's a that's a L I E N, and who can actually assert that. So, Ian, what what happens once we sort of know who can do it? What happens then? So, in my opinion, the most important. Uh, question that we often answer for people is when can you assert a lien? And it's a really narrow window uh, compared to, say, a three-year statute of limitations on a breach of contract claim. 
you have 120 days from the last date that you furnished labor or materials um, to assert your lien. And something that often comes up in this context is we'll have somebody who uh, they did a bunch of work and then they, for whatever reason, didn't file their lien. Uh, so let's just take the example of a plumber, for instance. Uh, they'll try to go out to a site where they installed a bunch of plumbing fixtures and just sort of make some tweaks, some edits, no, nothing really uh, that needed to happen. Uh, no new labor, no new materials. There's case law in North Carolina that says that's not going to be good enough to revive your lien rights. Now, if you actually go out and provide some additional work, some new material, something like that, that will, uh, in my opinion, restart your clock. But that's ultimately going to be a judgment call for a judge uh, as we're arguing about whether you've timely asserted your lien. But if you don't take anything else away from this podcast today, what I would encourage you to remember is that you have 120 days from your last date of furnishing labor materials to actually file that lien. Um, so usually the first question that I'll ask somebody if I get uh, called uh, with the person who wants to look at filing a mechanics lien is, well, when did you last do work? Uh, that way I know whether we need to drop everything and get going on this or whether they are actually still out there performing work. Um, the next thing that is important to know, and this is uh, really more of a issue for the lawyers, in my opinion, um, is when do you need to sue to enforce the lien? So uh, you have 120 days from the last date of work to file the lien, but you actually have to file a lawsuit to enforce that lien if you want uh, to get the full benefit of it. And that needs to be done within 180 days of the last date of furnishing labor and materials. Um, and I've actually tried a case uh, where this issue came up and uh, probably the most nervous I've ever been in a courtroom while uh, the Superior Court judge was doing a calculation at the end of the case. He had ruled with me, but he was making sure that uh, we were within our 180 days. And my client had actually filed the lien himself before he came to me. But it was uh, it was nerve wracking. Thankfully, he concluded that everything was timely. But that's uh, you never want to be close on that if you can avoid it. Um, and then the last thing that uh, is really a threshold question, in my opinion, is where do you assert the lien? Where do you file the lien? And it, it seems uh, intuitive to me, but obviously, anyway, it's in the county where the real estate is located. Um, and yeah, I can see someone uh, having a venue clause in their contract saying that uh, we're going to fight about all the disputes in Wake County. Uh, well, if you've got a lien dispute, I, I don't think your venue clause allows you to assert a lien on real property in Wake County if the real property is in Johnston County. Um, so you, you, your safest bet is, uh, and really your only bet in my opinion, is to file in the county where the real estate is located. Um, so James, talk to us a little bit about uh, what a lien agent is and uh, how that fits into this entire process. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing that you were talking about, the dates, the 120 day, uh, and I know we'll probably talk about this in another podcast, but a lien on funds, right, is a little bit different than a lien on real property. But just as a caveat to that 120, let's just say you, you're sub, a subcontractor or a supplier and you realize you're 140 days out and you didn't file your lien, but you're still owed money and the people above you are owed money right in the chain. 
you actually still could assert your lien on funds, even though you're outside that 120. But the 120 really deals with just the real property issue. It, just a caveat, just for folks that are listening, going, I wonder if that, wonder what if that applies to both. So, yeah, just a note. I'll just throw in that. I, I think that I wrote a blog post on that issue. So if I can remember, I'll uh, I'll have that link down in the notes, just if yeah. anybody wants to take a look uh, about a lien on funds in more detail. Yeah. So the lien agent, uh, that statute uh, came into being not too long ago. And the lien agent, one thing I, I try to get people to understand when I, we're talking about it is the lien agent statute really only protects the title insurance companies. It's not really designed to protect anybody else. Um, the the way it came about was the title insurance company was for, they were pushing as a group to have sort of this notice provision added to the statute. Uh, and what it says is basically, if you provide materials or labor to the to the uh, a real property uh, project and um, you don't give them notice, then you don't have a right to file a lien. Uh, so the lien agent is required on every project in North Carolina um, that are that's over thirty thousand um, dollars and not going to be the residence of the general contractor. Um, and it must be designated no later than the time period that the owner of the project first contracts with any person to improve the real property. So if a owner, say, for example, is getting ready to do some, you know, they're going to build a commercial building or, or house on it. Um, generally speaking, they probably more than likely have already hired maybe the architect. But generally speaking, they're supposed to have the lien agent uh, hired before that. But generally speaking, they do it when they get ready to build it, get pull the, the building permit. Because the building permits offices require them to show them or tell them who the lien agent is. Um, and the owner is obligated by statute to actually hire the lien agent. And most lien agents are title insurance companies in North Carolina. Um, so the they contract with them. A lot of times the general contractors will do it for the owner. Um, and again, it must be designated uh, early uh, on in the project. Subcontractors and suppliers are also supposed to notify the lien agent within 15 days of supplying labor or materials or equipment. Otherwise, um, they're uh, unprotected if the property is sold uh, or if there's other transactions with the real property ownership. So one thing that the statute says 15 days, right? So what we're telling our clients is try to have that. You need to have that notice filed. And thankfully, it's online. Um, that you are providing materials or labor to the project within 15 days of first starting. But if you find out later, you go, man, I didn't realize, didn't, I didn't know the statute was there or I forgot to whatever. And let's say you're 45 days in, go ahead and give the notice uh, because at least then you're covered going forward. Um, but it's, you, you may not have that first um, period of time of providing materials or labor. Um, so make sure that you go ahead and do that. Um, Lien rights also it still exist if the property is sold um, or if it's not sold. Um, but giving the notice to a lien agent, uh, most importantly, does not qualify as a lien, right? Some people think, well, I, I've already I've, I've given my notice to the lien, right? No, that's not. That is only giving notice to the lien agent. And if you haven't been paid, you still have that 120-day deadline that Ian mentioned earlier that you have to file your lien within that time period. So this is not a lien that you're filing. This is only notice. And the website is liens, L-I-E-N-S-N-C.com. And you have to have stuff in an account. Uh, and it's all electronic, uh, which is really nice. 
most people really enjoy um, that process versus having to do it in paper. But again, if you, as a subcontractor or a supplier, the benefit to this is it keeps the door open for you to be able to file a lien if you haven't been paid. So, Ian, talk to us a little bit about if you're the owner of a property and the lien's filed, what, what advice do you have? Sure. Um, and I'll just say that probably the vast majority of our clients in the lien context are actually um, builders or suppliers who need to file a lien. But every now and again, we'll get phone calls from property owners uh, who have had their property leaned, and then they'll want to know, well, what do we do about this? Um, and usually what I'll ask them uh, is whether the lien was surprising to them or not. Um, you know, if you, if you know you're behind with your general contractor or with uh, you know, whoever is working on your property, then you're probably not going to be surprised whenever they file a lien on your property. Um, but most often this comes up in the context of we've got one entity which owns a piece of property and then maybe they're a landlord, for instance, and they're having a tenant that's improving a piece of property who that tenant's contracted with a general contractor that's went out and hired subcontractors. And somewhere down the chain, somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do and someone didn't get paid. Well, then all of a sudden, landowner gets a lien in the mail and uh, they're usually not very happy about it. Um, so uh, at that point, we figure out, well, well what do we do? Uh, and what I always tell people uh, in that situation where this is a surprise is, well, figure out whose fault it is and then figure out uh, the closest thing you have to a contract with that person. So um, if, if you're a landowner, for instance, and you've hired a general contractor and that general contractor just hasn't paid a subcontractor, in that instance, you're going to go to your contract with the general contractor and see what it says about liens and obligations if somebody causes the property to be liened. Um, if uh, the lien isn't a surprise, in other words, you know that you're behind and you were kind of just sitting around waiting for the lien to come because maybe you're waiting on some funding to come in or, or whatever the issue happens to be, um, then at that point, uh, we really just need to sit down and analyze the lien. So we're going to look at what's the amount of the lien, uh, look at the dates that are included on the face of the lien, the scope of work that's articulated, the legal description of the property. Um, so no matter uh, what the circumstance of the lien, you really need to figure out what your defenses are. So if it's a surprise, if you didn't really have anything to do with it, your defenses are going to be uh, basically telling whoever calls the lien to be put on the property to take care of it. If, if the reason that the lien was filed is your fault, um, then you may have some defenses to the lien, or we may just be analyzing, well, how do we get this taken care of as, as quickly and efficiently as possible? Um, so, James, talk to us about uh, if you're the general contractor and a subcontractor causes a lien to happen, what can you do? Yeah. So if you, again, if you're the general contractor or if you're the owner, uh, generally you're going to have a contract with those you've hired to, to do improvements to your property. Um, you really need to have in your contract that there's a provision that says that they won't lien the project or, or if they do or someone that they've hired liens the project, um, that they are obligated, uh, say, within 15 days or pick a time period, a reasonable time period, to uh, bond off. Uh, the lien. So, and what bonding off the lien means is where they hire a bonding company to step in and say, okay, yeah, if for some reason we have to pay out 
uh, we'll pay it out, but we'll we'll actually take the lien off the project of the property. So, in essence, the bond takes the place of the lien. Uh, they can do it that way, or they can actually take cash and uh, deposit it at the clerk of court um, to cover the lien. Uh, so that should that's no way of bonding it off. Um, but what this does is it frees up the real property because a lien actually is an encumbrance against the real property. So if the owner is trying to sell the property or they're trying to get financing or something of that nature, they're not going to be able to do that while the lien is on, uh, on the, on the property. Um, so if you're an owner or GC or first year sub, if you're hiring other people, we certainly su suggest that you have language in there, uh, that says, you know, they can't, they should not uh, allow any liens to be filed. If they do, they got to bond it off. Um, and hopefully the contract would, would take care of that. Another way that you can do that in, conjunction with it is to have partial lien waivers and we hear from a lot of our clients that they get asked to sign partial lien waivers again if just because the, the document is titled partial lien waiver doesn't necessarily mean the body uh, complies with that you just make sure you need to read it make sure it's accurate uh, but a partial lien waiver that everyone that maybe the GC signs or first year sub whoever's getting the payment um, takes the takes the pressure off of the anybody above right to saying, hey, look, as of this date, you've already received X number of dollars, so you can't be leaning the property for that. So it gives you another way of defense to say the lien's got to come off the property. So hopefully that makes sense as the owner or general contractor. Um, but if you do own, you know, if your own actions cause the property to be leaned, what, Ian, what do you, what advice do you have, suggestions? Um, sure. So this is usually a situation where uh, some issue other than your own cash flow considerations has resulted in your failing to pay. Um, and most often I see this in the context of uh, folks that buy property, uh, hire a contractor to come in, renovate it, and then they try to resell it for a profit. So house flippers, effectively. Um and the way that this comes up, in my experience, is someone will hire somebody to come in, they'll do some work, and then for whatever reason, uh, the work just wasn't quite up to par, there was some issue with it. But this person, the way they make their living is they uh, need to close uh, the property, they need to, they need to sell it. Um, so what they may do, especially if uh, whoever did the work is uh, not a, a major issue, or even if it is a major issue, um, they'll just go ahead and they'll bond off the lien. That way they can close, take as much of their profit out as they can, uh, with the exception of whatever they had to do to bond off the lien. And then it doesn't really hold them up. And then they can uh, choose if they want to, to fight for however long it takes about whether this contractor or subcontractor did a good job or not, but it doesn't slow down their process. And, you know, you can take that in the context of a house flipper all the way up to a $30 million commercial project, it may make sense if you've got somebody in a commercial project who did some work, it wasn't up to par, you don't want to let a $100,000 outstanding balance to a, a subcontractor hold up your $30 million closing. So you're going to bond that off and then uh, sort out the details of whether that contractor did good work uh, later on. That's good advice. Um, so Let's think about uh, strategic just for a little bit, right? Let's just say you're an owner or you're a general contractor and you receive a lien that either, say if you're the owner, GC filed or a sub filed, 
or if you're a GC, a, fi- a lower tier sub may have filed it. And you realize that there's an error on the lien, right? Maybe the dates are wrong or the work they did is wrong or the could be the dollar amount, depending on how they classify it or if the wrong county or there's just a, there's an error on it, right? So do you, do you jump up and down and, uh, you know, send off a letter saying you're wrong, blah, 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 you can't do that. Well, what we would say is this, take a deep breath and let's look at it, right? Uh, we would suggest hiring counsel and walking through that to see, number one, where you are on the 120-day deadline. Um, in North Carolina, liens cannot be amended. They may not, you may not amend a lien. Now, you can cancel a lien and file another one right behind it, right, to fix the error, but you have to be within that 120-day uh, deadline that Ian mentioned earlier in order to comply with the statute. And the statute's pretty pretty specifically clear about that. So you cannot amend it, but you can cancel it and file a new one. So if you are, say, the owner and a property, and lien is you know, filed against your property um, and you realize there's a glaring error on it um, and you're close to the 120, we would tell you to probably maybe think through that before you would uh, sound the alarm to let them know that their lien is wrong because uh, you probably wouldn't want to give them the advantage of canceling it and filing a new one. So we just had that situation for a uh, owner of real property where the owner had hired someone to do some real some improvements to the property. Their dates were way off, like maybe a month off. And uh, our client could uh, quali- quantify that easily through records. And so we just said, hey, Let's, let's wait it out. And as soon as the deadline had passed, we uh, sent them a letter and, you know, they're, they're sort of swallowing hard trying to figure out how to, how to, what to do with it. Right. Um, so if the lien claimant liens the wrong property, what happens there or makes other errors? Uh, you might have an opportunity to recover attorney's fees possibly. Um, also, if you uh, have the opportunity to bring a standalone cause of action associated with an improper cloud on title, We've, I've had that case not too long, well, a couple of years ago. Um, and there's some very specific um, case law on if a lien is filed and it's improper and it's a cloud on title, uh, that means there's, a, there's a, a, an apparent encumbrance on the property, um, then the other people could actually, uh, whoever filed the lien could actually be liable for attorney's fees and some other damages as well. Not a given, but it's a possibility. So there are really some very strategic things you want to think about. And one thing I would add in what Ian was talking about, the 120-day deadline, is really make sure you look at the calendar and count the days. We have a software program that we use, and a lot of times we still look at it with our brains and our eyes to actually count the days. Um, I, I've seen people uh, eyeball it. Well, you know, May, this is you know, May 30th. So 120 days, and they just sort of guess at it. And I'm telling you, more times than not, I've seen people mess that up. So uh, please be really careful about that. Uh, we had a client one time before who had to file. We filed hundreds of liens uh, for uh, something that happened in the in the chain of the uh, contractors that required all that. And so our client filled out the form we had, and all of the last dates landed on a Sunday. I didn't, we didn't pick it. I mean, we didn't look at it, right? We presume they knew what their dates were. Um, and what they did is they looked at a calendar, they, excuse me, they looked at a piece of software that gave them the last dates. Unfortunately, that had been programmed to be the week ending. Um, 
so it say that they did the work on a Thursday. It actually picked us, thankfully, the previous Sunday, not the post, not the past Sunday, because we would have definitely been out. Um, thankfully, we were able to make an argument to the court that that was uh, no one got injured because of that, even though our dates were not correct. Uh, but no one came in and, and was harmed by it. But there's some real strategic things you need to think through about that, uh, about what to do and how to do it. Um, so, Ian, what's some other advice you would give? Yeah, before I get into that, just on the, the dates issue, um, it's really, really important to, if you're a general contractor or a subcontractor for you to keep job notes. That way you can actually tell us when you were out there last, um, and especially today in the age where general contractors and subcontractors are texting with their customers. Um, I've had a number of situations where we'll say that the last day of work was whenever, and then all of a sudden the customer pulls out text messages that maybe call that into question a little bit. Um, so uh, just make sure that you're keeping good notes because, uh, again, liens can't be amended. And if we're outside that period for filing a lien, uh, you may be out of luck on the lien front. Um, but just in general, and this is really more advice for uh, property owners, if you get a lien in the mail, uh, the first thing that I tell people is don't panic. Uh, at the end of the day, a lien is a very useful tool to make sure that contractors, subcontractors, and others get paid. Um, but as an owner, uh, a, a lien really uh, is... Um, something that's just be viewed more as an inconvenience than anything. Uh, you need to assess uh, how do you best deal with the lien under your particular circumstances. Um, and that can take uh, a number of uh, different forms, some of which we've already discussed, you know, bonding off the lien, what have you. Um, so uh, basically what I tell people is, uh, uh, a lien is something that uh, can be dealt with. There's all sorts of different ways to do it. Uh, sometimes it makes the most sense for you just to sort of grit your teeth and, and pay it and then deal with it later. Sometimes it makes more sense to bond it off. Uh, sometimes it makes more sense just to let it sit there. But uh, there's always a path forward with a lien. Um, and it really it's going to depend heavily on the circumstances of your particular situation. Um, well, James, do you have anything else for us today? I don't. One thing I, only thing I would add is the lien rights in North Carolina is a very, um, it's, it's a robust, thankfully, statute and allows for protection, but it also, um, it's, it's really specific, right? You got to make sure you comply with it. Um, and it, the only thing I would say is like, call us, text us or email us, um, let us know what's going on. If we have, if you have any questions, we'd be glad to help folks. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we would be more than happy to help, and uh, we're going to try to put some helpful information and links in the description of this podcast, and uh, we'd be happy to, to talk with you about any of these uh, issues. And uh, I think we've got some exciting stuff on the horizon for the podcast, so uh, stay tuned.